Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Hi, Stephen Justin. This is Alan from Hayward, California. My question is What does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? And provides unbiased answers. Maybe they already have a lot of shares. A lot of times, stock based compensation is part of their package anyway. So if they don't go out there and buy more shares and increase their exposure even more, I don't really think that is necessarily a slight. Invest talk. Over 32 million downloads and counting. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-SHARP. This podcast is produced by... KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, September 27th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. And I appreciate you all tuning in to this show and Welcome to the fall. Summer is now behind us, and there are a lot of shifts in the market that you need to understand. Today was one of those big, big days where growth kind of fell out of bed. Why? Well, interest rates are rising once again, and I think we are on our next march to new highs uh, for the last couple of years in interest rates. Uh, and that's going to mean a lot of different things for the market. One of the big things it's going to mean is growth stocks are going to struggle. Their multiples are going to contract. And you saw that today. On top of that, you have geopolitical issues, one mainly in China. And it looks like they are turning to away from capitalism and towards communism. Now, they're already Chinese Communist Party, but they're monetary system or their not their monetary system their economic system has been capitalistic well they're shifting away from that now does that mean that chinese stocks are now uninvestable hate to break it to you but probably so we're going to try to help you this hour do our best to unpack all of this information as much as we can and give you the right data the right perspective to help you make good money decisions And we're going to operate with our mission statement, which is independent thinking and shared success. So whatever I speak about, I'm giving you the facts as I see them in front of me without bias. I'm not Kramer, so I'm not talking a book. I'm not banging whistles or banging buttons and blowing whistles. Uh, We are here to bring you along in our success, in our process. So I'm Justin Klein. And of course, I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions. And when you do that, you get to shape this show to your liking. In fact, you can call right now during our live stream program from 4 to 5 Pacific time. Or you can leave a message on our Anytime Invest Talk voice bank after hours. The number, either way, never changes. 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hey, guys. This is uh, Trent from Long Beach. And I know you've, you've already answered this question before. Regarding earnings, how long do you have to own a stock to receive the earnings per share? So if the earnings are being announced on, let's say, um, November 13th for Amazon this quarter, 
Uh, how far advanced do I have to buy it, to own it, to actually get the benefit of uh, the earnings? Thank you very much, guys. Bye. Well, you don't get the benefit of the earnings unless they pay a dividend. It's not automatic. Now, there's a thing called retained earnings. So when a company earns a certain amount per share, so Amazon, for example, this year they're supposed to earn $53 per share. They can do a couple they do they can do various things with that money. One, they can just keep it on their balance sheet, cash. They can pay down debt. They can buy back shares. They can reinvest it in their business by spending on CapEx, growing their business, maintaining their business, or they can pay it out as a dividend. Now Amazon doesn't have a dividend currently, but many stocks do and that dividend is when you actually receive part of the earnings, theoretically. So you'll get that cash in the dividend form, and that's the only way you automatically get paid. Otherwise, the earnings are just up to the management to decide what to do with it. Now, if they grow the earnings over time, remember that you own a share, a uh, part of that business. That's what owning stocks is about. And so... You just own a, a piece of a larger and larger business as they take that cash, grow it, uh, grow the business, maintain the business, etc. And obviously, the multiples can can contract and and widen uh, that it trades at. But you technically you never get the earnings per share unless they pay it out as a dividend. Now, ideally, the stock goes up because earnings grow up over time. And then you can sell your share or part of your, your, your position to raise cash if you need it. And that's another way that you can get, I guess, a return on your investment as cash. Good question and definitely a beginner question, but I, I don't mind the beginner questions because there's many things that I just take for granted that I've been doing this for 20 plus years I, I just know innately, but I know that a lot of new investors listening and, and just kind of get a grasp of what the market is, what a stock is, how does ownership work, how does earnings work, how does cash flow work, how do dividends work, all these things. And there's a, many times there's a lot of gaps in your knowledge that you might not know. You don't know what you don't know. It's one of my favorite sayings my, that my grandpa used to always, uh, always give me. And... That's why we take your calls, because we want to answer everything that's on your mind. Now, my focus point today is based on this story. ROI profits for home flipping are decreasing. So we're going to dig into why it's getting more challenging to be a home flipper. Also, I'm looking out. I live in Laguna Beach, and I do have an ocean view. And I'm looking out, and I can count one, two, three, four. And uh, I literally, if I went out to my balcony, I could probably go to and see a dozen different ships out there. Uh, but from where my view right now, I can see four. Uh, but there are a ton of container ships off the California coast. There's a bottleneck at the Long Beach and Los Angeles ports. And this is a hallmark. I get reminded every day seeing these things parked out there. And it's really interesting, but also... A little bit worrisome that our supply chain bottlenecks are that extreme, and that's kind of what uh, we're seeing and I'm seeing on a daily basis. And so I'm going to dig into that story a little bit more and help you understand our supply chain issues. Also, individual option trading, turbocharging the markets. What does that mean? 
for markets, for sentiment, etc. And then lastly, stable coins in the spotlight of U.S. regulators. What might that mean for the wild, wild west of the crypto markets? So those are the topics that are on my mind, but ultimately I need to know what is on your mind, most importantly. So give us a call, 888-99-CHART. Now let's look at the markets today. Very, very interesting day, like I said at the top of the show. NASDAQ, COMPQ, down 77 points, a little over half a percent. Whereas if you look at the Russell, that was up 32 points, a little over 1%. Huge, huge difference here. The DBC, the Commodity Tracking Index, new highs, 52-week highs. Natural gas was up was it, 12% after hours. You're starting to see the rubber hit the road. The European energy crisis on the backs of ESG and lack of investment in new supply of hydrocarbons is starting to hit the market in a big, big way. It is here. And it's only going to get worse. There's a lot of... A lot of people think this winter is going to be colder than average. Guess what that means? A lot more energy use, a lot of natural gas being needed. And we are already at seven, half, eight year highs here in the U.S. on natural gas prices. Could it go even higher? Possibly. But you're seeing that hit home right now. And inflation is suddenly sticky. It's no, no longer transitory. It's accelerating. The producer price index is up over 8%. And remember, this is, we're not getting, we're past the base effect issues. Remember I talked about when we had the pandemic, the shutdown, those first three months, there was a huge deflationary force. And then you, you, you compare those year over year numbers in 2021, and you're going to see big, big numbers. And that was expected. Well, now we're starting to see August and September numbers, which... A year ago, we were, yeah, there were still some COVID issues, but for the most part, economies were relatively open. And so it, when you start to see these inflation figures remaining 4, 5, 6%, that is no longer transitory. That is here to stay. And that impacts the markets dramatically, especially the fixed income markets. And that's why you're seeing the 10-year now, almost 1.5 at the close today, could be heading to 2%. And this market is hypersensitive to interest rates, especially these growth stocks, because they're trading at high multiples. And that's why you have to be careful. Okay? You have to understand the market that we're in. The story stocks, the fun stocks, the tech stocks, uh, not to say that some of them can't work, because we, we, own, we own a few of them. There, there's a lot of smaller and mid-cap names that are great businesses, good cash flows, not trading at crazy multiples. There are opportunities out there. So you don't want to throw out everything. But understand, especially the larger cap names, those huge giant companies with large multiples, lot of room on the downside. So understand the market that we have transitioned into. Started last summer, and you're starting to see the resurgence once again. Now we're heading into a quick break. Mac from Cabo San Lucas, hang on. You will be next here on Invest Talk at 888.99 chart.
No two investors have an identical portfolio, so each investor will have different questions. I guess I'm wondering how I should kind of diversify. If the questions specific to your portfolio aren't being asked, your situation is not addressed. And I wanted your thoughts on the cannabis market. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein take Invest Talk listener questions each weekday during the program live stream in the 4 to 5 p.m. hour Pacific time. The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes, so your questions are always welcome. As a newer investor, my question concerns positions. You have the right to remain silent, but why would you when anything you ask will be used to help you create your financial freedom? I think it'll probably go higher. And so I would keep a tight stop on it. So don't forget to call Invest Talk 888 99Chart. got a portfolio to grow and protect and this is no time to lose focus so get your finance and investment questions together and call steve peasley and justin klein they're ready with their unbiased answers invest talk 888-99-CHART let's go talk to mac in cabo san lucas looking at bungee bg you own it or you looking to buy it uh, I, I own it. I bought it back in March, and it's been pretty flat. And I was thinking it would be a good uh, inflation play, commodity slash inflation play. Okay, yeah. Well, this is Bungie. They process grains and oil seeds and produce fertilizers. So they are in the agricultural operations space. And it is a, a good company. Uh, consistent business earnings this year is supposed to be around nine dollars a share. They were ten dollars and thirty one cents last year, but the year before four dollars and sixty six cents in two thousand nineteen, two seventy one in two thousand eighteen. So clearly, their business has taken a nice solid jump higher. The big question is: there a reversion to the mean and their margins? That is probably the 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 biggest question because over the last decade, their margins have averaged about one percent or so briefly turning negative in 2019, uh, but trailing 12 months, it's at 4%. So my question is, how sticky are those margins? Will they be able to stay up around 4% or are you going to mean revert back to that one, one and a half percent range that they've been in for the last decade? That'd be the big question for me. Um, now, I like that it's in the commodity space, uh, supplying commodity producers mainly, uh, but, and then the chart is strong. The chart is fine. It has pulled back here. But it is starting to perk back up above all the major moving averages. So technically, I have no problem with it. Fundamentally, my, that's my biggest question is what has substantially changed about the business that their margins have now doubled, almost tripled? And is that going to revert to the mean? And if so, then it's probably going to struggle because it's going to revert back to that maybe 4 or $5 a share in earnings as opposed to this year it's supposed to be $9 a share. So I'd really have to dig into that, understand why that might have changed. And if I was convinced that that is more permanent, I love it. If I am convinced that it's going to mean revert, there hasn't really anything changed substantially, uh, then I would be a little more cautious on it. Thanks for the call, Mac. Let's go to uh, Ajunte, Ajunti in Fremont looking at Western Digital. You there? Yeah. And and STX, which is Seagate. Okay. 
So uh, you're looking at Western Digital and Seagate. Are, are you just trying to play the the hard drive makers? Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to have to go to a quick break. So you got to hold on. Uh, I'll get back to this right on the other side. Now, this is Invest Talk. And if you've never called, why not do it now? Our phone lines never close. So give us a call at 888 chart Got a question for Steve or Justin? I'm calling to ask your opinion on an ETF called XLI. Now is a good time to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. The market is constantly changing, and you've got to be ready to react. You'll have questions. Steve and Justin have answers. The Invest Talk Anytime listener line never closes. 888-99-CHART. All right, we were talking to uh, Ajunti before the break about Western Digital and Seagate. Uh, sounds like you're looking at both of them. Which way are you leaning and why? Uh, because in the future, there will be more and more uh, storage requirements. Uh, so I think this should definitely make money and become uh, more profitable. Well, just because a, this is one of uh, the misnomers and myths that a lot of people, a lot of investors make with businesses. And they say, well, the, the industry itself is growing and therefore their profitability is going to grow or their, their business is, is going to get better uh, because the whole industry is growing. And a lot, in a lot of cases, that is true, but not all cases. Uh, and this is one of those areas where that that really hasn't been the case. If you look at Seagate and Western Digital over the last decade or so, when data has increased, right, the the amount of data people people use and store uh, has grown exponentially. Well, if you look at Seagate, in 2012 they did 14 billion dollars in revenue. Trading 12 months, they've done 10.6. So over an eight nine year period. Their business has shrunk by about 30%. Western Digital, they did 2013, they did 15.3 billion in revenue. Trailing 12 months, they've done just shy of 17 billion. So barely any growth over the last eight years. Okay. So don't just think, oh, yes, we're storing more data. And that's certainly true. The demand for hard drives is, is certainly on the rise. Um, but that's not the end-all, be-all of the analysis. You have to really understand and unpack the businesses. Now, if I'm looking at one or the other, I'm definitely going with Seagate. Even though their business has shrank, their free cash flow has been positive and consistent throughout that time period. Their return on equity has been very strong and consistent over that time period, whereas Western Digital is really all over the place, up and down and, and, and all over the really all over the place when it comes to cash flows and, and, and return on equity. Now, Seagate, you're going to pay a little, little bit more in a multiple, uh, but you're getting a steadier business, a better run business in my mind. Uh, and so I'm going to go with Seagate. The, t- the chart is also stronger. Um, so... I still don't love, love, love that business. But if I'm picking one or the other, I'm going to go with Seagate. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Saeed in Oakland looking at T-E-L-L, which is Tellurian. 
Do you own it or looking to buy yeah, it? Yeah, I'm here, yeah. Yeah, hi. I'm just looking at uh, uh, this company here. Uh, it was down like about 40% this year, but I was wondering if it's a good time to buy right now or it's still high. Okay. Well, this, is this Tellurian? This is the oil and gas expiration company? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's... Uh, Okay. This is out of Texas, it looks like. And this is a name that looks like it was on the brink of bankruptcy early last year. Um, and it's come back from the brink, it looks like. Uh, technicals look strong. It's pulled back from 5 and almost $6 a share back in June. Hit a low recently of $2 and change. So it's very, very volatile here. Um, let me take a look. Yeah, they're, they're losing money. Yeah, I mean this this is more of a speculative play. If you if you really are bullish on oil and natural gas and you're willing to take a lot of volatility cuz clearly this is the name that that is in that space. They don't make money. Um over the span of 3 months they went from 6 to 250. Now they're up to f- over $4 a share in a month later. So, I don't think this is a great investment. Uh it's a trade. Once again, if you really are bullish on oil and natural gas, this is going to be very levered to the price of oil and natural gas. And so as a trade, technically, it looks good. As okay. an investment to hold long term, absolutely not. Thanks for the call. Oh, now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. So here's here's some from iTunes reviewer reviewers. John from San Diego says, Hi, Justin and Steve. My question is about 401k allocation. If the Fed raises rates, will that cause inflation? How will bond and equity funds perform during inflation? Well, the Fed, A, is not going to raise rates. They're going to, it sounds like, Pull back on QE. Now, if the market falls out of bed over the next month, uh, that might not be the case. They might uh, balk at uh, actually cutting QE and tapering. But I don't think they're going to raise rates anytime soon. It's really going to be more about the level of their QE purchases, to be honest. Uh, They're not going to get to a point where they're going to be able to not do any QE because interest rates, like you've seen recently, are going to get too high. The 10-year is. And that's going to cause market problems. And that's what they don't want. So I don't think they're going to do that. Secondly, how will bond and equity funds perform during inflation? Well, in an inflationary environment, bonds typically don't do very well. And especially with where we are, especially treasuries, government bonds, very bad place to be invested. Your money's just going to lose out to inflation. You're going to have negative real yields. So you definitely don't want bond funds on the treasury side. Now, if you can get some high-grade corporate, something that uh, has a good yield, you might be able to keep up with inflation, maybe do a little bit better. But treasury is definitely not. On the equity side, growth stocks, the growth side of the market, tech stocks, they're not going to do very well. If inflation remains persistently high and interest rates continue to march higher, they're not going to do very well. The value side of the market, uh, which consists mainly of uh, commodities, of industrials, of Financials, those are the type of companies that tend to do better. Thanks for the call. 8899 chart, this is Invest Talk. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? 
Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. No two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. The best way to get answers that correspond with your situation is for you to submit your questions to Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. The 24-hour listener line never closes, so don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. On the next InvestTalk, this story. OPEC says that surging gas prices are the transition premium in the push towards renewables. Global gas prices have tripled this year alone, sending ripples through markets and raising concerns that prices of the commodity will only continue to rise. Steve will break down that story tomorrow, but my focus point today is 
the housing market and that home flipping has suddenly become a bit less profitable. And I'll get to the reasons why. But what's happening is low supply, high prices, and a run on housing has changed the dynamics of the flipping market. And returns have dropped from 40% in the second quarter of 2020 down to 37% in the first quarter and 33.5% in the second quarter of this year. Now, close to 80,000 single-family homes and condominiums were flipped during the second quarter of this year. That's 5% of all home sales. Now, that's down over the, over the last decade, but it's up uh, the first increase uh, in more than a year. So you're starting to see a, a bit of softness. It's allowing some of the home flippers to get in and, and start to uh, start to give some volume uh, to the market. But it's very different in profitability depending on the market. And it's pretty interesting to see where it's profitable and not so profitable. Where it's not profitable, places like Gulfport, Mississippi, Corpus Christi, Texas, College Station, Texas, Longview, Texas, Alabama, uh, those are areas where it's not that profitable. Where it's very profitable, Oklahoma City, Fargo, North Dakota, Pittsburgh, Omaha, Nebraska, Philadelphia, Buffalo, and Baltimore. Those are the most profitable cities. Now, the big reason why it's becoming less profitable is inflation. It's the cost to do renovations, which is really what these home flippers are looking for. Homes that uh, need some polishing up, they're willing to put in the elbow grease, hire the right contractors, hire the right people to make it livable and turnkey. And the cost of rehabbing now are much, much higher due to supply chain disruptions. And they don't have the cost advantage like a, ho a big home builder will have. So they're paying full retail price, typically going to Home Depot, Lowe's, etc. And then labor shortage are hitting them as well, not being able to source the right material in enough time and the right workers to get things done on a timely basis. And this is all increasing the cost. Remember, oftentimes flippers are buying on margin, meaning they're borrowing money to buy the homes. And so every day that they don't get that project finished and sold is another day that they're incurring interest. So if you gets pushed out a, a, a few weeks, a few months, that's a lot more interest that they're paying in order to turn a profit. And it's eating into those margins. So those are the things that are really making home flipping a lot more difficult in this market. And typically, you would think that they're going to do very, very well because a lot, of, a lot of it has to do with whether the market is going up, the whole housing market in general is going up. It's a big part of that time period, that six, nine, 12 months where they're holding and renovating the property. And clearly, the housing market is still doing well. Uh, but you're seeing that slow down a bit as well as the cost of inputs on the rise. Let's go to Robert in Pleasanton looking at RPD. RPD, which is Rapid 7 Inc. Do you own it or looking to buy it? Uh, I don't own it. I've been kind of watching this for quite a while now. Seems to just keep going up and up. So I'm just curious to get your thoughts on this stock and what its prospects for the future are. 
Okay, well, this is Rapid7 Inc., and they're in the cybersecurity space, data analytics. And you're right, they have been going up. It's a hot area. $6.6 billion market cap, currently trading at about 15 times enterprise value to revenue, which is very expensive. Anything over 10 is pretty expensive. Now we're at, this is at 15. And they're supposed to lose $0.09 cents a share this year, but finally make a profit next year of $0.15 cents on $118 stock. So you can see the multiple there. Revenues are going up, but not dramatically. It's over the last, de- last eight quarters, it's averaged about 25% revenue growth, which is a nice, solid grow, growing company, but not anything blowing the doors off. Uh, so I, I just don't see why this should trade at quite the multiple. And you're, today, with the growth side of the market struggling, this did as well. It's down $2.85, down about 2.5%. So you're going to see this stock struggle in an environment where interest rates are rising. I like that you're looking at this space. Uh, there are a lot of great opportunities, public companies trading at, for the most part, very high multiples. And that's the issue. And this is lumped in with those. So I, I haven't heard of this one. I haven't done research on this one in particular. I have done research on the cybersecurity space and it's odd that I don't remember seeing this. Um, but it does seem like it's doing well but not well enough to justify this valuation at $6.6 billion market cap. And so I'd probably keep it on my watch list of all the cybersecurity names, uh, but it's far from a level where I would be picking it up. Thanks for the call. Now let's fit another iTunes review question here. Supersonic says, love the show and the weekly market analysis on YouTube with the Fed ready to taper, saying that there is a substantial further progress when it comes to employment and inflation running hotter than 2%. Do you think the market will start pricing in the taper after the jobs report on October 8th? I, I think that is the market's already kind of pricing it in, I think, because he said, Powell said that the jobs number just has to be fine. It doesn't have to be great. It's just be fine. And maybe it won't come in fine. Maybe it's going to come in in a couple hundred thousand. And then there's a, those, a wrench into their plans. And uh, it's no longer a, a growing jobs market. And they need to turn back and uh, remain with their QE program. That's certainly a possibility. But for the most part, I think the market's priced that in with that the, the tapering is here. And it's going to commence probably sometime in December or January, and they're going to announce it in early November when they uh, meet. I think it's like November 2nd and 3rd next time. So, yeah, I, I think the market's kind of already priced in it. It's not something that's uh, that interesting uh, to me um, unless that jobs report is a big or is a, a, a dud. Um, and that's certainly a possibility, but we'll see what that looks like. Now, let's touch on the shipping containers that I see out in front of me, a bunch of them. There's now over 75 ships sitting outside the Southern California ports, nearly double the number a month ago. They've been here for a while. It just start, seems to be growing uh, by the week. And this just shows the disruptions and delays that are that the global supply chain is dealing with. And... There are bottlenecks now in various ports. Now, everything is generally is aligned to L.A. It's by far the largest ports in L.A. and 
uh, Long Beach. They're the largest ports in the world. The last last year, the two ports handled the equivalent of 8.8 million loaded import containers, more than double the 3.9 billion loaded boxes that arrived in the nation's next busiest ports, New York and New Jersey. And so the surge in imports of consumer products during the uh, during the COVID lockdowns has really thrown a wrench in global supply chains. Companies are, are rushing to restock inventory that was depleted over that time. They were selling their existing inventory and they couldn't, couldn't get new inventory. Now they may be able to, to produce it or their factories may be able to produce it, but now there's these giant bottlenecks. Uh, and California ports are an easy range of China. And they churn out huge volumes of electronics, apparel, other types of consumer goods. And what's happening is they can split the goods between their large local consumer base here in California, most populous state, and rail links linked inland, mainly through Chicago. And there's a lot of warehouse space here in Southern California. Uh, There's a lot of labor and trucking equipment, a lot more than other ports because it's prepared for it. It's been building over decades. West Coast ports like Oakland and Seattle aren't large enough to handle the number of hundreds of thousands of containers that L.A. and Long Beach typically unload. And so just a few extra ships heading up to those ports can overwhelm them. Now, a lot of shippers are are shifting their delivery to Gulf states, uh, East Coast ports. But those have also started to get overwhelmed. In fact, in recent weeks, the port of Savannah has had 20 or more ships anchored uh, off their shores as well. So this is not something that is only here in Southern California. It's now getting uh, nationwide. And a lot of companies are still low in inventory. So there's a lot more shipments, a lot more supply coming. And I think it's going to take another six, nine 12 months to get fully back up to speed with our global supply chains. And that means inflation is going to remain relatively sticky. Now, fall is here. We're entering the fourth quarter. In fact, Friday is the first day of the fourth quarter. And we're starting to see a little volatility, especially with interest rates on the rise, with value starting to outperform growth once again. And I think it's time to... Take a look at your portfolio. Understand whether your plan, your strategy is aligned with your needs and your goals. Do you know that? Do you have a strategy? Do you have an asset allocation plan? Or are you just throwing things in your portfolio because you read it somewhere and your cousin said something? You saw a a talking head on TV say something about a stock and you throw it in there and then you probably never sell anything? That's a lot of people. You're not alone, but that's not how you be successful. That's not how professionals do it. So if you need a second opinion, I encourage you to reach out and contact me and Steve at our company, KPP Financial, where we operate with the same philosophy, independent thinking and shared success. We do free portfolio review assessments almost every day via telephone or go to meetings. So if you want to reach out, just go to investtalk.com or give our office a call, 800-557-5461. 
We'd love to help you in any way. Just give us a few minutes, see how we can help. Next up, you will get, we will get back to the InvestTalk Voice Bank, so hang on. The InvestTalk Voice Bank never closes, so your questions are always welcome. As a newer investor, my question concerns positions. You have the right to remain silent, but why would you when anything you ask will be used to help you create your financial freedom? I think it'll probably go higher. And so I would keep a tight stop on it. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, guys. It's Suzanne from Michigan. I think this is a question for Justin because he's spoken about Joanne Incorporated before and was pretty bullish. I was just wondering what's happening with Joan, J-O-A-N. There's been such a big drop lately, and it's been downgraded to a hold by some. And I know you were pretty bullish when it was over $14, but now it's actually recovered to the 12 and, you know, it's down as low as 10. I was just curious if this is a sell, is this a buying opportunity? would like to hear your thoughts um, these days since, you know, it was not long ago where you were pretty bullish. So kind of curious what's going on behind the scenes. Thanks for all your help. Great show. Bye. All right. Looking at Joe and Fabrics. Uh, I remember looking at this uh, a little while ago when it was around 14. Yep. Um, and they're supposed to make two dollars and sixteen cents this year, and that's down from last year, uh, making four dollars and thirteen cents, and that makes sense. Uh, less lockdowns, uh, less people at home uh, doing arts and crafts, etc., and so their business is going to retrench a bit. Uh, but still, you're talking about a six PE. Their cash flow remains relatively positive. Let me look here. Uh, they do have a decent amount of debt, and I think that's the biggest issue: is that the market's worrying that. They're not going to have the cash flow and the, the business to uh, pay down that debt, even though they've earned about three times their interest over the trailing 12 months. So I'm not really that worried about that. Enterprise value to EBITDA right now is about 4.7, which is still relatively cheap. Um, I wouldn't be worried until, until it closes below 10. Um, it retested the 10 mark, uh, which... It tested in uh, March of, of this year. And so unless it breaks that, I, I still think the business is very, very cheap. Uh, I, I don't see they have a, they don't have a lot of competition, uh, especially people like the arts and craft. They want to go and see and feel the, the, the fabric and, and the products that they're using to make whatever they're planning to make. Uh, and sure, little things, you know, you can buy on Amazon, things like that. But for the most part, Arts and crafts people want to go to something like uh, Joanne. So um, I still think it is a good value. Now, if it broke, breaks below 10, that would be my signal that the market is telling you that, yes, the business might be okay, uh, but they have too much debt to handle. And then the market is going to be pricing in something that is a lot more dire. So that would be my out is that $10 mark, uh, the lows from this month breaks below that on a weekly basis, then I'd be out. But I still think it's a pretty good value. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email 
Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hi, Stephen Justin. This is Alan from Hayward, California. My question is, what does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? If the stock is at a significant discount, why wouldn't they buy more unless they didn't have faith in the company? Thank you. I love the show. I mean, a lot of reasons. Maybe they already have a lot of shares. Uh, you know, a lot of times stock-based compensation is part of their package anyway. So insiders already own uh, a lot of shares and get shares on a regular basis because it's part of their compensation package to align their interests with shareholders. It's not uncommon. So if they don't go out there and buy more shares and increase their exposure even more to the company, I don't really think that is necessarily a slight on the management or the company as a whole. There are various reasons why they may not go out and buy more shares. Oftentimes, you'll see consistent selling from top executives. Why? Because they already own uh, millions of dollars maybe in company shares, and they're trying to monetize uh, their stock awards. And so they want to sell it on a consistent basis so that they can cash in uh, their compensation. And so to me, that the fact that they don't buy because it's down, I don't think that's an indictment on their confidence in the business. I look for – now, if they do, uh, that's certainly a, a much better indication. But it's not telling me that, oh, the, the management doesn't have confidence in the business. It can be various reasons why they don't buy. Now, let's fit in one more iTunes review question here. Scrooge McDuck – Hopefully he's doing backflips in his gold. Said, I have close to 10% of my portfolio in this Brazilian water company, as I believe it has a protective moat that Warren Buffett always talks about. For a water company, COVID-19 is a very minor issue in my eyes. And this company's true value seems to be around 12 to $14 pre-COVID. Do you agree with this assessment and position, or do you think it's a mistake? My average entry point price is around $6.80. Looking at SBS. I've looked at this company over a long period of time. I've seen it many times. Uh, the problem is that their business is, is very up and down. You're exposed to the value of the Brazilian real, uh, the political winds of Brazil as well, which, as we know, is fairly volatile. Now, this stock has had a nice reversal in August from a low around $5.80 a share. Sounds like you bought it around twelve fourteen. Now it's at seven. So you're, you're down a lot. And that's probably why you're worried here. Now, the good thing, once again, is it has had a nice reversal. Um, it's not yet broken above the major moving averages, which it would be the 200 day moving average right now. It's about 745. That's when I would say the winds have maybe shifted on this name. And then this is not just a counter trend rally, but the technicals are looking fairly positive. The fundamentals are fine. So let's make 89 cents a share next year, 77 cents a share this year. Their all-time high was $1.23 in 2019. And it's a $7 stock. So it's not trading at egregious multiples. So I'm not really worried about that. It's more about the political risk here, the currency risk that you're dealing with. 
And clearly, this hasn't been a good time for that. And this is another example of, I believe, let's look at their dividend. Yeah, their dividend has been on a decline. This is a great example of that. 2010, they were paying 41 cents a share. Now they're down to 8 cents a share. Remember, dividends are not sacrosanct. And so, you know, that doesn't mean it's a bad thing about the company. Uh, it could be they're doing something else with their cash. Hopefully not giving it to politicians, things like that. But um, clearly, their, their business is up and down. Um, if you're okay with having Brazilian exposure and exposure to this uh, the currency and their political uh, wins, then I think it's cheap. I think it's fine. Um, but it's, it hasn't crossed that bullish pattern yet on a technical basis. But if it gets to around 750, then I'd be more positive on it. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. Now over 35 million. Get yours anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Be sure to rate and review. And if you leave a question with your review, we will be sure to prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is the best talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein, chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 